Hi everyone, I'm Manuela Lazic and this is You Gotta Act, a podcast about actors and acting. For this very special episode, we have a very special guest, uh, Nico Marzano. <laughs> uh, so Nico works at the ICA, he's the head of cinema and he does many other things. Uh, the actor that Nico chose to talk about is Gian Maria Volonté, but before we get into this, Nico, can you please talk a bit about yourself and all the work you do? Uh, ciao, uh, thanks Manuela, thanks for inviting me on, on your podcast. You're welcome. Um, yes, I, um, I've been working at the ICA now for, for the last seven years uh, as, uh, as a film programmer, as a film curator. Um, I, uh, my um, uh, academic background is, is quite bizarre because I actually studied the uh, law uh, when I was uh, at oh. New in Napoli because my, my dream was to fight mafia uh, uh, and, and becoming a judge. Uh, but then, like, you know, um, the concept of truth uh, was something that I started to struggle with and, and, I just, and, and also the love for cinema invaded my life. So I studied film, film, film studies in Ireland, in Dublin, which is where I lived for many years, uh, where I still uh, somehow live in between London and Dublin, because my son lives here in Dublin. Uh, it's where I'm talking today as well. Uh, during this lockdown, I've been based here in, uh, in Green uh, Dublin. And, and, and nothing. And then, like, you know, at the ICA, um, we try to, to, to support a film that is uh, truly independent uh, in, in nature, in terms of production, um, and um, the program of, of the ICA is a program that somehow can be perceived uh, as um, three phases. No, the, the program that takes place at the ICA uh, weekly, uh, with our two screens, with our uh, 450 films per year. Uh, then the festival that takes place every year in April, called Frames of Representation, which is a festival that uh, embraces cinematic languages that uh, sit at the intersection between fiction and non-fiction. And then there is also a further support that we try to provide for uh, the independent film uh, scene, which is through the distribution uh, arm that we uh, currently have, uh, which tries to bring films uh, beyond London uh, and tries to bring in, in the UK, films that otherwise would not have been uh, circulated uh, experimental in nature, uh, radical and political. Uh, my uh, field of research curatorially uh, has always um, been rooted uh, in, in political cinema. Uh, that's mm -hmm. the reason why uh, today uh, I, uh, I'm very, very happy to, to talk about Gian Maria Volonté because Volonté uh, was definitely uh, uh, an actor that belonged to that uh, current, not only current in terms of film wave that developed in Italy at the end of the 60s, which is political mm -hmm. cinema, but also because his idea of cinema was very political, but never propagandistic. Mm -hmm. so this is uh, in, in, in... And then I write about film, I, uh, I, I like also to, to talk, as we will do today, about film. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean... So that makes, like you said, it makes perfect sense you chose uh, Volonté. And also I was reading through the, um, the notes for the upcoming uh, Frames of Representation, which unfortunately has been suspended until 
whenever it can happen. But the theme this year is spectatorship. And I read that in your notes you wrote uh, that the festival will aim to challenge the relationship between presentation and action. Yes. So it seems like the theme of the festival will be exactly what the volunteer films you told me to watch are about, which mm -hmm. is making the spectator not just a passive uh, person, but someone who, by the film, is motivated to do something. Correct. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and yes, like, you know, there is uh, definitely, even if you, and we will talk about the, some of the filmography of, of Gianmaria Volonté, there is always an overlapping between uh, fiction and non-fiction in his works, and also uh, the directors that he decided to work with. In the case of spectatorship, yes, for me, the, the idea which started uh, actually with um, uh, a French uh, thinker, writer, Jacques Rancière, no? is mm -hmm. a very important text, The Emancipated Spectator. And he was talking about theater as well, not only uh, cinema, and the idea that uh, there should not be any uh, expectation or vertical division between who is producing, providing, giving, in terms of actor or art institution, like in the case of the ICA for Films Representation, and the spectator. There should be a fluidity of, of um, discourse between the two parts mm. uh, without any level of expectation. And this is like, you know, definitely something that for me is very interesting because also uh, connects back to, to the films that I try to present within the context of Films Representation that are films that fluidly move between uh, uh, um, uh, a structure of fictionalized storytelling through then like, you know, more uh, non-fictional works. Mm. Uh, and that fluidity in producing and then like, you know, making a film uh, and then presenting a film in, in a physical space with the presence of spectators for me was very important. And then the irony of everything is that now even more so spectatorship, spectator, are basically under siege by this COVID-19 pandemic. So I hope that we will have the chance to do it uh, at some point in October, November, in some form of shape, because of course we need to take into account of the limitations, but it would be, for me, a very strong political statement to come back with, uh, with, a, with, with a program like frames around the spectatorship, you know? Uh, mm. Yeah, 100%. It seems like... Um not only with COVID, but also with what is happening with George Floyd. Um, we are bombarded with images and videos and we are being asked to act. We are being asked to go out on the streets. We are being asked to protest to the government all through images. But also they can be, as we can see with Trump, for instance, some manipulation, you know, Trump going and, you know, gassing people so he can take a picture of him. In, with a Bible, that's fully also using images to try and incite people to do something, but in the dangerous way. So yeah, I hope you can do it soon. <laughs> that, uh, that's absolutely, I don't know, did you have a chance to see today the ICA Daily uh, that I contributed for the ICA? I, I don't think I read the one today, no. No, because it's interesting what you are underlying right now, because uh, my entry was uh, suggesting a, a, a book of 100 pages uh, that I read the other day, which is called The Thinking in an Emergency. That's the title of the book and postulates exactly what you're saying, that in a time of emergency, we are pushed to uh, do, to act. 
uh, reader to think. But this is a, a clear political intention from the establishment mm -hmm. to take away any possibility of understanding what they're trying to advance just in order to advance their own agenda. While thinking is such a fundamental idea, because thinking also is an act of resistance within ourselves. Because while you think, you are conquering yourself. Because you know, mm -hmm. every morning I wake up and I may have some negative impulses, you know, rage, uh, ideas that, and thinking allows me to take a distance within myself. To the, if you just say, no, no, we have to do it and act, you know, it, it, it's a certain yeah. political agenda that can really be dangerous. Mm. Um, Definitely. So, um, it's a, it's an interesting text and it's very short. It's more like a long form essay rather than a book. It's 99 pages, uh, thinking okay. in an emergency. Perfect. Um, I'll read that. Uh, yeah. And it seems, uh, to go back to, to go back to Volonté, uh, I would say he was thinking a lot, <laughs> I mean, to say, because he, um, so to to look at the movies you recommended I watch. Um, yeah. They are all these political movies, but interestingly, Volonté actually became famous with spaghetti westerns. Correct. Um, so that was interesting to me because I thought, oh, he just made spaghetti westerns, got famous, and then he did what he wanted. But in reality, in my research, I found that he got into theater and acting hmm. because... Uh, he had to make money and he wanted to escape his home where his dad was a fascist yes. who went to jail. And because he was in jail, he put the whole family at risk and financially financially as well. So it's very interesting how he, he had this sort of uh, start in political work, political theater. Then he got fame with Spaghetti Westerns and then he went back to to his real calling. Um, Absolutely. You know, we don't have to... For, uh, uh, forget that uh, he basically um, started his career yeah, in the 60s, as you correctly said, and you know, uh, rose to fame through the spaghetti western genre, uh, with Sergio Leone in particular, uh, gave him like, you know, a, a sort of positioning within like, you know, the, the, the actor, like, you know, landscape. Uh, but he was also then like, you know, we are at the end of the 60s, when that big turmoil took place across Europe and in Italy as well, because in Italy at the end of the 60s, especially in Rome, uh, across the whole country, but especially in Rome, there is a big tension between students, proletariat, police, again, back right. we go back to Floyd, then like, you know, the police. Pasolini very famously takes a very provocative stance saying, I am with the police. But why says that? during the end of the 60s, 1968, there are these famous clashes in Valle Giulia, which is a place in Rome where police are beating students because he's taking a stance against the middle-class bourgeoisie that is taking the streets just in the name of belonging, but not of a real militancy. And he's saying, some, in some cases, these uh, cops are instead the real working class you know, working for very little money. So uh, it, it was a very important, like, you know, as usual, Pasolini, per Paolo Pasolini is uh, an, an illuminated poet, you know, uh, mm -hmm. that paid with his own life for uh, the, the courage of his uh, very anti-establishment ideas. 
Volonté was very similar to Pasolini. That's why I'm also drawing this comparison because Volonté, in my view, in terms of artist, because, you know, he was an actor, but he was also an auteur in, in himself. Like, you know, um, all the directors, you know, he worked with uh, possibly the greatest, like, you know, Elio Petri, Montaldo, Francesco Rossi. Mm -hmm. They all say that his influence in shaping the films is uh, uh, very important. Uh, but why? This also connects why I decided to, 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 to suggest you that we would look at Gianmaria Volonté because part big part of his filmography, especially the political cinema of his filmography, uh, is rooted into films that are somehow docudrama hybrids between fiction and non-fiction. So on the political historical side of these films, he always had a very strong take. And, uh, and I have a lot of like you know funny episodes that I learned throughout the years about him about his political militancy while he was shooting films, like Giordano Bruno, for example. Mm. Giordano Bruno is one I, I couldn't find, unfortunately. I couldn't uh, stream it. Um, mm. But it, it sounds, yeah, like um, I was watching Todo Modo uh, okay. as well, rewatching, and I found, uh, I, I had read that uh, when it came out, uh, the... Uh, everyone on the political spectrum was saying they don't like it because it was that period in Italy when uh, the Democratica Christian or something, the Christian Democrats yeah. and the more socialist left-wing people were trying to make peace together yeah. in the public eye at least. And he said, Elo Petri said that uh, everybody was saying on in the public uh, that they didn't like the film, but in private, the left-wing guys were telling him, oh, we really like the film. So, and then when I watched the film, I was like, of course they didn't like this. It's so, so hardcore against the establishment. Um, sure. Yeah. Well, Elio Petri, all Elio Petri films, like, you know, I mean, maybe to also help our audience to, to be familiar with a film that it's more readily available than Todo Modo. I, I don't know if you had a chance to watch at least clips or you watched the film of Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion. I watched it. Yeah, I watched the whole thing. I loved it. It's like, you know, it's an incredible film because, uh, uh, again, 1971, a film that won us an Oscar as best foreign language film. Uh, it's like, you know, uh, it's really a big, heavy critique to Italian society, not only to police and to their sense of impunity, but to Italian society. I don't know what, what you know. What really struck uh, you when you saw that film? Uh, uh, um, well, when I watched it, it made me think a lot of the film American Psycho, hmm. because it's kind of the same structure of a guy with a lot of power because he's in the sort of is in a system that gives him a lot of power, and he plays the game. He plays along. And he, in American Psycho, it's more unconscious, but he starts kind of trying to get caught, trying to break all the rules. And he realizes that he can't because if, if the system tries to stop him, the system would have to destroy itself. And the system doesn't want to do that. So in American Psycho, when Patrick Bateman goes crazy, he's like, I killed all these people, I killed these people. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? Go back to work. And he's very sad because he wanted to be found out. And yeah. it's the same that happens here, but it's a more... American Psycho is about capitalism and white capitalism in America and the finance sector, whereas uh, Investigation of a Citizen Above Suspicion is about 
a more political, more, more obviously political uh, area. And but it but he does it in a much, um, I think, in a more not I wouldn't say subtle because it's not really subtle, but he does it in a more uh, interesting way because I think um, Volante's performance is very very in in American Psycho. Um, Patrick Bateman is played by Christian Bale and his performance is very high camp mm. whereas Volonté is more like I, I believe that he could have been a real person which is much more scary <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely like you know and, and that is way of like you know um, he's an actor that always like you know um, works like you know with the method you know, and uh, he's into the character like you know completely if you read a lot of stories behind, like, you know, his other films, he's uh, to the point that, you know, it's uh, it's impossible to deal with him. You know, another thing about Volonté is that he was a very complex character, you know, for as much as he was always frontline to, to fight the struggle of the working class and, like, you know, taking on a lot of these right issues. At the same time, he was a very, very... Uh, multi-layered complex character that was actually sometimes very difficult to deal with and in investigation for me yes there is you know a critique of the the police system wanting to defend itself and him trying to play with that to demonstrate his own power while demonstrating the power and the desire of acting as a cast from within the police but it's also a big critique on, on the media uh, uh, behavior of those during those times in Italy, across the world, and then sadly also a, a sort of weak testimony on how little things have changed is this beautiful scene where he gives the speech, no? Mm -hmm. This big room of people. And you remember what he does? He basically is mixing up, uh, you know, the, the lines on the wall that are supporting Mao Zedong, with instead the, the number of uh, homosexual people that were labeled by the police, you know, mm -hmm. to see how you can easily manipulate the narrative, putting everything together. And then when it's a big soup, you know, you it's difficult to then, like, you know, make a, a very clear cut judgment. Mm. And then, like, you know, him, it's like, you know, uh, you know, you, you are uh, really like, you know, for those who have not watched him, I really hope they can watch film because you are scared by him, like, you know, especially when he's uh, acting in those moments that he's relating to his colleagues, no? Because he's this police inspector, uh, a freshly promoted uh, uh, chief of the political crimes, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and, and he comes, you know, we are not spoiling anything, he comes... Uh, uh, freshly from from murdering uh, while uh, attempting an eroding game with his mistress, uh, his mistress. So, mm. and then the film takes you know as departs from there. Uh, yeah, basically. yeah, I agree. Like um, he's generally terrifying in that film, and that's the first uh, of the films you told me to watch that I watched, mm. and his performance in that is so intense. I was watching and I was like, why is he screaming all the time? But he's really screaming and he's really engaged. And I think that's another thing about Volonté that I realized watching his work is that he was really good at playing leaders, like the police guy or in the other films as well, because he had a genuine charisma. And there are so many of his films where he gives actual speeches 
mm. we watched uh, the the Matei affair. Yes. Was it this one? Yeah. Yes, the Matei affair, the one where he plays the um, guy who created the Eni uh, oil company. Enrico Matei, yes. Yes, and there's a scene near the end, I think, where he's giving a speech to an entire small town, the town of Galliano, and. Mm. Volonté is genuinely giving the speech to an entire town. And yes. it's just, I think if you put another actor there, that could have terrified them. But he seemed very much comfortable with with this kind of performance, but also comfortable with playing people who were the bad guys. I mean, hmm. Matei is a bit ambiguous, but that's also something I found very interesting about him is that he was comfortable and he was really willing to play people from both sides of the equation. Like he, even though he was very engaged, he wasn't just playing the good guys. No, he wasn't Tom Hanks. He was trying to play everyone. No, no, no. I mean, you know, and and you could see also, like, you know, with uh, uh, Enrico Mattei, no, Il, Il Caso Mattei, the Italian title for uh, the Mattei Affair, amazing film by Francesco Rossi. Mm-hmm. Again, like, you know, uh, there is a, you know, the film is also a perfect example. I'm very happy that you are bringing this up of. Um, merging fiction with non-fiction and we're talking about 1970 i think 1972 must be il caso mattei uh, early yeah. 70s anyway uh, where uh, the director francesco rossi had a friend called mauro de mauro which was a journalist that was killed by mafia during the shooting of that film so he decides to not only to represent a story like Il Caso Mattei, Enrico Mattei, the president of Eni, that uh, while being ambiguous, because they were still like, you know, exploiting workers to some degree and stuff, but definitely they tried to keep the big company, uh, resources company, nationalized, state-owned, and fighting against like, you know, the danger of... Uh, selling it to you know north american companies it became another private enterprise so in, I'm, I'm sure that that was what really um fascinated the volonté to be able to play that role and then at the same time a film that goes in different direction because mauro de mauro this journalist that i was mentioning before was killed during the shooting was a friend of the director and francesco rossi decided to use real footage of him looking for Mauro de Mauro. Um, and then, like, you know, that period is also the period of another important piece of Italian history, which is the killing of Aldo Moro. Aldo Moro was this important mm-hmm. uh, politician from the same part that you were mentioning before, Democrazia Cristiana, Christian Democratics. Uh, and he was uh, kidnapped by Red Brigades. And uh, at that case completely overshadowed then like you know the the killing of Mauro de Mauro that was uh, a journalist that was not really well uh, seen by mafia and therefore uh, killed mm-hmm. um but and, and, and volonté not coincidentally played also Aldo Moro in uh, in Il Caso Moro in Il Caso Moro <laughs> I have a very funny episode about Il Caso Moro Mm-hmm. I went to give a conference, a workshop, uh, actually, in Nicaragua, Managua, uh, in, uh, in February, just before all this COVID-19 uh, thing happened. 
And um, after this uh, workshop at Tagiv on cinematic language, uh, I was taken to a restaurant for dinner by a, a Nicaraguan uh, filmmaker. Uh, she's a documentarian actually as well. And she said, ah, I would like to thank you. Uh, uh, let's go to eat to this, to this Italian restaurant. No? Uh, <laughs> and I thought within myself, I said, ah, I can't all the way. <laughs> 10,000 miles to go to Managua, but okay, let's go. So, no, it's very good. And then I want to uh, introduce you to the owner of the restaurant, who is an Italian guy that's been living in Nicaragua for now uh, nearly 35 years. Um, and um, and he's an interesting character. So, and he helped the Nicaragua uh, revolution to fortify the Sandinista revolution had to basically become what it became. So for us, it's a, a dear uh, person, uh, even on a national level. I said, oh, definitely. So I go and, and I talk to this very incredible man um, all night, the owner of the restaurant. He was coming and going from the table uh, about us. So Italy and the 60s, his uh, mm -hmm. political commitment uh, and stuff. Uh, and then he said something towards the end that uh, made me curious about, like, because I said, why did you leave Italy 35 years ago and you never came back? Uh, and he said, ah, you know, my, um, my idea of Italy at that time was uh, really um, impossible to reconcile uh, with what was happening. Mm -hmm. At that kind, uh, and I went online, I Googled, and he was bloody one of the guys that was part of the commando that, of Red Brigade that kidnapped Moro. And he's basically <laughs> a, a wanted man uh, internationally. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's not that I'm disclosing or putting in danger him because, uh, you know, it's, it's clear, you know, mm -hmm. he got a, a political asylum from Nicaragua and Italy knows where he is, where he's working. I see. There was even a, a, a comedian sarcastic uh, TV show in Italy called Le Iene that went to look for him in Managua, Nicaragua, to the restaurant. Uh, incredible, incredible Amazing. story. Amazing man uh, and very knowledgeable. But, you know, we were talking about Il Casamoro, a volunteer <laughs> that night uh, while eating this beauty. And he's a great cook. Right. He, he, so he there is good Italian food in Nicaragua. <laughs> Actually, very great Italian food in, in Nicaragua. Okay. <laughs> Great, because the other thing interesting about Moro is that not only did Volonté play Aldo Moro in the Moro affair or yeah. in Caso Moro, but he also was very much inspired by, by him for Todo Modo, apparently. Course. And yes. um, I was fascinated by what I found in my research. I found that the director, Elio Petri, said that the first few days of shooting were for nothing because... Um, Volonté was playing his character way too much like Aldo Moro mm. and it would have been way too obvious that he was playing Aldo Moro so they were like okay we need to start again because if you play like this the film will never come out <laughs> and therefore they had to change it again so it, it really seems like he had an incredible ability to play real people Mm. And and that's like what you were saying about mixing documentary and, and fiction, because so many of his characters that he played were genuinely real people. And I think to me, the most amazing example of that is when he played um, Vansetti in Sacco and Vansetti, because 
so Sacco et Vanzetti is uh, the story behind that very famous John Bell song, the one we know. Here's to you, Nicola and Bart. And I didn't know this. I know this song since I was born, probably. Anyway. Ah. Uh, and um, the story is of these two Italian workers that in the 1920s were arrested. I'm just Anarch- explaining for people who hear this. Yeah? Important, important to say anarchists as well. Workers anarchists. and anarchists. Like exactly. Everybody. And they were arrested supposedly because they had uh, done some kind of robbery. But obviously the real reason was because they were anarchists. And the American government at the time was very much against communists because... It was not so much that they didn't like communists, it's that they didn't want workers to have rights. <laughs> so they were cracking down on communists. Anyway, end of the story is very sad. These guys are basically scapegoats for the entire anarchist movements. And one thing I found incredible uh, doing my research is I obviously looked at real pictures of Sacco and Vanzetti, and the expression on their faces are exactly the ones that the actors, especially Volonté, have in the film. And th- these are people that were evolving in the 1920s, so we don't really have video documents, we don't have much else except those very famous pictures. And somehow, from that, and probably from his, uh, from uh, Vanzetti's speeches and all that, Volonté built a person, and he lives him. And it's, it's just insane, it's just incredible. Okay. At that film, like, you know, he, uh, Volonté plays Bartolomeo Vanzetti, one of the two uh, anarchists, the other one, Nicola Sacco, there is a moment uh, uh, at the end of the trial when, when they are convicted where the judge asks them if they want to say anything uh, before the, the, the conviction will then you know, turn the executive and then they need to go to, to, to face the, 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 that sentence. And there, is, there are those two minutes where he, Bartolomeo Vanzetti, Gianmaria Volonté, say something about like you know why he is standing there and he knows that he's being like you know now killed because of being anarchist said so you know that if he would need to do it again he would do it again um, because all his struggle was to erase the um, exploitation of the man on the man of the human beings on other human beings from like you know working and for me, that is like, you know, one of the most powerful, uh, like, you know, speeches that anyone could give. And, uh, and you are completely agree, like, you know, even like, you know, the elements of his face when he was talking. And if you see pictures of Bartolomeo Vanzetti, they are the same. Mm. But you know, it's, it's famous, like, you know, his um, studies of the character were so intense that even during shooting, that's why I was saying that, you know, during Giordano Bruno, the film, Montaldo, the director of, of, of this film, it is about this Italian uh, philosopher that was, you know, uh, set on fire for his radical ideas. Uh, he w- Montaldo was saying that he would be locked in the room without leaving the room. And the room was also so smelly because he would not take shot, because he was just there, like, you know, focusing wow. on his performance in a way the intensity of his performance you know remembers me i don't know if you perhaps agree or disagree with uh, joaquin phoenix you know uh, same level of intensity same level of empathy same mm-hmm. level of uh, uh, they both have clearly an incredible charisma an incredible 
um, even like, you know, they appear as like, you know, strong characters, strong men, but there is also an incredible level of soft and tenderness that has to do with their uh, human pursuit. It's look, they are constantly in pursuing of an humanity. Now, even going beyond the character that they play, you know, even when I watch some Joaquin Phoenix interview, I have mm -hmm. that impression, like, you know, of someone, someone like, you know, damned, yeah, uh, it's, it's funny you say that because the we on this podcast we have talked about Joaquin Phoenix in the previous episode, so like oh. <laughs> this is perfect. But I totally agree about this um, this humanity that comes through, and I noticed that a lot in um, in uh, investigation because throughout the whole film, the character of the inspector Il Dottore is being mm. this very hard, tough, brutal man. But then there's that, there's that section where he starts losing it and he starts being really scared because he's like, they're never going to, like, he's like, it's quite ambiguous. We don't know if he's scared that they're going to catch him or that they won't, but he starts really breaking down. And it's genuinely heartbreaking how, how terrified he is. And I think Volonté translates that sensitivity buried beneath the violence so well. And it's such a nice payoff because the whole film, you see this man being just, a, a brutal wall and at the end it just breaks it breaks it breaks and it's such a nice payoff and it's and it's it feels like i'm guessing volunteer probably had a similar work method of being tough and tough and tough until he could let go at the end it really feels that way this is uh this is a very very uh, interesting like you know remark and and resonating so true with with i think who he was because now while you were uh, uh, mentioning this uh, um, impression of, of him uh, that you have of him reminded me of um, another film that he played uh, in 1991 which is called Open Doors uh, by Gianni Amelio beautiful film one of the last few films that he made because then he dies by heart attack on the set of Theo Angelopoulos Ulysses Case in 1994 so mm -hmm. three years before makes this film where he plays these uh, a progressive uh, Italian judge in Sicily. And the film is all about process, about uh, law, administration of truth. Uh, incredible film. And there is a, a young actor playing there at the time, young, very good actor still now, fantastic actor both in theater and cinema, called Ennio Fantastichini. And if you go and Google up on YouTube, there is an interview that Ennio gives about his experience of working with Gianmaria Volonté in 1991 on this film, that he was saying, you know, for me, uh, working with Gianmaria Volonté at that moment of my career, but even now, he said, but, you know, definitely then that I was just starting as an actor, it was a dream. You know, for me, Volonté, at the end of his career, already 60, mm. was God, like, you know, in terms of, of acting course. and political commitment. And uh, so I went there, first day of shooting, uh, and I went to him, and he clearly rejected me. You know, he did not want to have any sort of interaction of set, and actually was very harsh and uh, unpleasant to, to that point, that uh, mm -hmm. he really stayed with me during the day of the shooting. Uh, then, last day of the shooting, you know, Gianmaria came to me, and said, now we can be friends. <laughs> they were on the different side of, you know, they were against each other in the film as characters. So he would not, he could not allow himself 
to leave, not even for a second, that zone. Uh, and then he said that from then they had like, you know, a very wonderful relationship. And Ennio Fantastichini turned out to be a, a great actor, like, you know, very, uh, mm. uh, very, very, like, you know, engaged uh, mm. actor. And, uh, but, you know, that, that, that was him, like, you know, uh, was like, you know, very, uh, and to go back one second on the idea of how he always plays with real character, real stories, uh, Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometime how uh, uh, this it goes beyond Gian Maria Volonté. I think it's the power of cinema as an art form, no? That uh, can help us to analyze not only ourselves, the times and society that we live in, but sometimes can anticipate what happens. Uh, there's this film called uh, "Slap the Monster" on page one, 1972, by a director that I think would be familiar to some of our listeners is Marco Bellocchio. Oh, yeah. Marco Bellocchio's latest film, The Traitor, uh, it's a depiction of uh, Buscetta, uh, but instead, The Slap the Monster on page one was a film about a newspaper that was uh, uh, called, uh, on a fiction level, Il Giornale, The Journal. It was about uh, this uh, editor, chief editor of Il Giornale, manipulating... uh, a story which was a real killing ripped of a young girl and basically finding a scapegoat in a left-wing student, a politicized student, and making him convicted for the... was a fiction film, but was telling a story that was way too familiar and sadly still very familiar. Um, Two years later, actually, an Italian writer journalist, right-wing, founded... Il Giornale, which then became, became a newspaper that is still in, uh, in circulation, is still right-wing, still manipulates truth as they wish, mm. racist. And Intro Montanelli actually, and this connects also with, with, uh, with, with our real current times and with, for example, the uh, destruction, the, the right destruction of, of, of the monument in Bristol, uh, he was basically made into a statue once that he was dead because he also had some important role within the Italian landscape of journalists. But now in these days, they are talking about the removal of that statue because he's been, you know, very openly fascist, racist. Mm-hmm. And it's incredible, no? How yeah, like, everything crazy. resonates with everything. Uh, <coughs> when, <coughs> sorry. Uh, when it's done with a certain uh, art craft. Definitely literally all these films felt they could be about exactly this moment today. I mean, Indagine was all about the police and how it's uh, got way too many means and too too much to do, and it's rotten at the core. And there's literally a moment when, during that speech you were mentioning, he says, uh, we need more money for the police. And I was like, oh, God, this is exactly it. And, and yeah, and... Um, and same with Sacco and Vansetti. It's it feels very relevant to the Black Lives Matter movement, and it seems like the the radical ideas, sadly, need perhaps they need a lot of time to be implemented, and that's why these movies that were made in the seventies are especially relevant, you know, fifty years later. But it seems like also those films, for instance, Sacco and Vansetti, the targets have changed now. It's not about uh, communist, well, although 
<laughs> it's not about uh, Italian immigrants, but now it's about African Americans and it's about Asian people, especially in America. But this, the issue is still the same, the issue of uh, trying to blame everything on radical people and turning their fight into something else and completely dismissing them. And, um, it's the I issue just... of repression. It's repression to maintain the status quo. Uh, ultimately, mm -hmm. it's the idea of power that is uh, uh, sick. And in order to maintain that power, uh, you fight the collectivity that is trying to promote certain like, you know, issues and, you know, because, you know, in the case of Sacco and Vanzetti, like, you know, it was an attack on anarchy because anarchy was seen as a political system that would have brought a level of representation that then would have undermined the power. So that's why, like, you know, mm -hmm. uh, no, it's, uh, and, you know, it must be said, like, you know, for, for Gianmaria also that, uh, his political commitment towards the working class was always very, very high, and right. towards anarchism as well. There is another very interesting little clip, uh, a short film that he made himself, directed and acted, about the killing of a young anarchist in Italy called the Pinelli. And he basically, in this short film, is reconstructing the moment of the killing of this anarchist, because the police say that he, while under arrest, jumped out of the window. Uh, instead, <laughs> of, you know, killed by police. And, and he, you know, it's a beautiful little short film. I think it's, I don't know if I remember correctly, 13, 14 minutes, but it's amazing, black and white. Uh, or, you know, we should also definitely mention and remember, I don't know if you had a chance to read about or to even watch it, uh, working class goes to heaven by the same director of investigation of a citizen above suspicion, which is Elio Petri. Just mm -hmm. a little digression. Elio Petri is a fantastic, underrated filmmaker that deserves a lot of space. Definitely. I did a, a little program at the ICA, one of the first years that I was there about Elio Petri. He only made 10 films between the 70s and the 80s. Each film is different one to another, adopting different genre, different acting style, uh, but mm -hmm. at core, all is very political. He was actually loved in France. The only country that gave him some sort of resonance or representation was mm -hmm. France. But in that Italy, doesn't surprise me. I mean, yeah. you know, <laughs> especially in the late 60s and 70s, France was all about uh, rebellion and all that. And yeah. That that would make sense, but I, I I think I had heard of him when I was still in France. So there you go. Oh, wow. Yeah, I yeah, think yeah. I had heard the name. So yeah. sorry, this working class goes to heaven. Just to to give a, a yes, little yes. hint to our uh, listeners or viewers, if they want to to look this film up, which I uh, art uh, wholeheartedly recommend to watch. He's playing an, a, a a character called Lulu Massa that has a very interesting journey because he starts as a worker in this factory, as the most productive worker, actually so productive that was undermining the struggles of other colleagues and workers and union, because it was setting the bar so high that everybody in the 70s, usually you get paid for as much as you produce. Mm -hmm. And he was producing like uh, hell. Uh, to also the, the price to pay was his like, you know, lack of engagement with his family, with his wife, incredible actor, Mariangela Melato, she's amazing. Um, and then during the film, there is something 
an accident that happens to his finger uh, that changes certain dynamics and he actually takes on the working class struggles uh, and then he gets fired and then the film like you know has a different ending uh, wow. that not spoil but it's fantastic uh, sounds wonderful film. yeah yeah that's that's like what i was saying earlier about how he could play people on both sides or people kind of in between like i think uh matei was a bit more ambiguous um but it's, it goes back to what you were saying about thinking and not just acting, which is ironic because he's an actor, but you know what I mean? He seemed like um, he would, through his work, he wanted to genuinely take the time to put himself in the shoes of the opposition and mm. genuinely try and work through how they got there, why, what they want, and therefore find out how to defeat them, hopefully. And I, I can't think of many actors that do that today but I also can't think of many films um, that are about this as much I mean I know at, at the ICA you do program some films that are in that vein mm. but do you think that cinema today is doing anything nearly as powerful as all these directors were doing with Volonté? I mean at the moment I think uh, for sure there is like you know a big like you know um, wave of directors, especially from Latin America, for example, that are working uh, on that intersection that we were mentioning before between fiction and non-fiction, that are doing a very important political uh, work. I I'm now thinking uh, in Brazil, for example, like, you know, uh, there are like, you know, different uh, representatives of this political cinema that in a way it's taking up the, you know, um, the legacy of Glauber Rocha. And, oh, yes. Like, uh, it's like, you know, Argentina as well. But even if we go back to, to Europe, uh, you know, I cannot fail to mention Salome Lamash in Portugal. She's doing an amazing job when it comes to um, merging the artistic practice with the political investigation. Um, I, to stay in Russia, uh, or to stay in Europe, Russia is another, like, you know, place that... Um, Mm. Uh, after this representation, we showed Alexander Abaturov the song, which was a in, very interesting like, you know, depiction of uh, uh, the military uh, environment currently in, uh, in, in, in Russia. This year, I hope that we are going to show uh, a, a film from, from Ukraine, and it's a film within a film. So Irina uh, Shink, the director, is... Uh, capturing the life of this family south of, of Ukraine where they are shooting themselves a film to find some sort of like you know reconciliation with the idea of, of, of war with the idea of aggression from the perspective wow. of the Ukrainian uh, family and um, that is like you know uh, the earth is blue as an orange that's the title of the film oh but that's uh, a that's a famous French poem that That's comes from the famous, yeah, la, la terre est bleue comme une orange. I think it might be Paul Éluard or something. It's one oh, of those surrealist guys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, that sounds great. That sounds really cool. But, um, there are a lot of, like, you know, right now, uh, must also be said that uh, an actor like Gianmaria Volonté, I think that it's a unicum uh, in Italy at the least. Uh, if you think of, like, you know, the 20th century in Italy and also these 20 years in the new century, you know, I cannot find anyone 
not even close to Gian Maria Volonté. So everybody talks about Marcello Mastroianni, like, you know, uh, mm. you know, many other great actors. Of course, we had Mariangela Melato, Sofia Loren, Gina Lolo Brigida, all great actors, you know. Uh, but what uh, Volonté brought to the table of acting, political investigation, and uh, it's... Uh, mm. It's, it's unique. Yeah. Even so. I have to admit, like, Marcello for me is the top, but I have to admit his movies are not nearly as political. Yeah. I mean, he is in todo modo, but yeah. otherwise, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, I think we've talked for a long time. Ah. Um, but that was wonderful. Thank you so ah, much. You. I, I didn't think, I mean, I learned so much. I feel like I learned a lot and I hope people will learn something. Same, soon. likewise. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. I really, really enjoyed And thanks so much for choosing Volonté because I, I knew him, but only vaguely. And I, I feel so glad that, that I found out. So thank you so much no, <laughs> for that as well. My pleasure. Uh, you know, uh, that was my idea because I know, uh, I mean, I've been now living outside Italy for the last uh, almost 20 years no. Uh, and I know that uh, still is not that well known uh, as an actor uh, no, or as not there because I, I, you know, I consider him like you know without diminishing the role of acting, you know, but he's way beyond. You know, he's not just someone that is going there to do his job, the job that has been commissioned to. Uh, there are many more layers and reasons why, you know, he did the majority of the films that he did and. Uh, so, you know, I was happy to somehow spotlight him and to offer the chance to our listeners and viewers to, to get familiar with the, hmm. uh, with, with the work. Yeah. And also one thing I hope to do with this podcast is make clear that, like you say, an actor, sometimes they're just doing the job and they go home and everything is fine. But sometimes an actor is an author, an actor is part of the story. For instance, yeah. I couldn't imagine, as much as I like Mastroeni, I couldn't imagine him playing the main character in investigation of above suspicion because that just doesn't make sense and that film without uh volonté would just not be the same so i'm glad you you agree with that <laughs> because that's what, that's what i hope to do so yeah thank you we're gonna end here so thank yeah. you so much nico no my pleasure absolutely and uh, hopefully whenever we come back. I mean, like I mean, you are you and Alessandro are already in London. But whenever I will come back to London, we can meet up and hopefully at the ICA. Uh, uh, I hope so. But hoping it's still open and running, yeah. and we can we'll, keep working. We'll hang out at the uh, Frames opening night. I'm sure. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for listening to or watching this episode of You Gonna Act. Support us and find special episodes and more on Patreon at patreon.com/slash You Gotta Act. Follow us on social media and let us know what you think. See you next time.